Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Barry Habib. He is an American entrepreneur and frequent media resource. He's the CEO of MBS Highway, uh, which is the uh, most highly regarded tool for transforming salespeople into advisors. Uh, His most recent book is called Money in the Streets, a playbook for finding and seizing opportunity all around you. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Barry. Thank you so much, Jordan. Appreciate that. Just tell us a brief history of of you and how you've come to be uh, who you are today. Well, um, started out um, in Brooklyn, New York, and grew up extremely poor. Parents were immigrants. Um, what I always strive to do is understand that just because I started off in a position of being poor didn't mean I have to stay there. Uh, so was pretty entrepreneurial at a young age. Had, uh, had a stereo business, selling stereos out of the trunk of my car. And that taught me a lot. Taught me a lot about people. And then uh, with some of the money that I was making from that, realized that real estate might be a good place to invest in and started buying some real estate properties. And at a pretty young age, in my early 20s, started buying some real estate, uh, first for myself, and then different ways to invest in it. Some were flips, some were holds and rent, and uh, some some were um, fixer-uppers. And so based upon that, I had to obtain some mortgages from... Uh, so those properties. So I wound up having a tiny bit of experience, but sat down with the guy doing my mortgage one night and said, hey, look, I've got to do in the mortgage industry. Talk to me a little bit about that. I went to college. So on kind of a whim, I got into the mortgage business. And uh, boy, it was a tough start. I talk a lot about it, overcoming those adverse um, changes and how to adjust for that. And then really took to it pretty well and became the top originator, top mortgage salesperson in the United States back in the early 90s, opened up my own company, built it, sold it because I had an idea to alleviate a big point of friction in helping people in the mortgage industry understand when interest rates were about to change so they and their customers would not be blindsided. That was a big source of stress. And that really became very ubiquitous within the mortgage industry. I grew it and sold that business and did some fun things, did uh, some acting, had my own show on CNBC for 13 years, um, have been uh, in nine movies with speaking roles, had uh, a medical imaging business that I built and sold and produced some pretty well-known shows. One is Chris Angel in Vegas, and then the big one was uh, Rock of Ages, which became you know pretty worldwide, 27th longest-running show in Broadway history. I've been a professional speaker for the past 28 years, and then uh, in addition to that, started... In 2012, a company now that I'm CEO of, MBS Highway, which, again, helps people in mortgage and real estate understand market conditions, both interest rate-wise, real estate-wise, understand appreciation levels, how to, how to interpret them, how to make better decisions as to helping their customers choose different mortgage products. And uh, that's, that's, that's where I am right now is uh, at MBS Highway doing that. So it's been, a, it's been a really fun, enjoyable ride. I've had a lot of 
uh, interesting things along the way. Terrific. Well, very good. While we, uh, before we get and, to the oh, book, and then, of course, and, then, <laughs> and then, of course, authoring um, uh, the Money in the Streets book, which recently became a number one bestseller on Amazon. Excellent. Excellent. Before we get to the book, let's just talk a little bit about the real estate market now. Uh, the real estate, uh, suburban real estate market is very hot. People seem to be leaving the cities. What are you recommending for people who want to buy uh, with all these shortage of inventory and, and uh, bidding wars and really hot uh, you know, <laughs> real estate markets in many suburban areas around the country? So people misunderstand the real estate market quite often. And there are so many, you know, Diana Olick on CNBC has been poo-pooing real estate for nine years, saying how terrible it is. Then you get people like the Crash Brothers and Adam Data that think real estate values are going to drop. So uh, I think residential real estate is going to be exceptionally strong for a long time. And there are several reasons for that. The first is just simple supply and demand. So when you take a look at the demand side, the demand side is obviously is very high right now. Some of those things that you've you've articulated, one is people wanting to move out of more urban areas into not just suburbs, but what we call the exurbs, which is the next outer ring. So those are becoming much more popular, especially now that people are realizing that they can work from home, so it makes them uh, more mobile. So the demographics are something that people don't often look at, but it helped us to accurately forecast the market crash in 2008. 2007, as it began, uh, demographics play an important role in the supply and demand equation. You know, if you just try and make it simple and say, look, you know, prices tend to go up when there's more demand than supply, and prices struggle when there's more supply than demand. And what we're looking at today is first-time home buyers that are coming to the market. The median age of a first-time home buyer is 33 years old. So what you do is you go back 33 years ago to the birth rates, and you say, okay, well, in 1987. If you look at what the birth rates are, and they were pretty strong, 1988, 89, 90, and 91, there is an explosion. If you take a look at the birth rates, births exploded higher. Now, that tells us that over the next three to four years, that the amount of first-time homebuyers coming to the market is going to increase demand rather significantly. So that means people are going to form households. Some of them will rent, certainly, but about two-thirds of them will more than likely want to purchase a home. And that increased demand, given the short supply, is going to be really supportive of pricing. There's a few things that we need to, need to understand about these demographics and why they're so accurate. Because, you know, these people were born, they're coming. And it helped me to accurately forecast the crash, as I mentioned, because if you think, like we did, that, you know, about 2006 was while the real estate market was strong, that there was some cracks that started to appear. Using the same demographics, go back 33 years, and you look at the birth rates from 1973, which is 33 years before the housing bubble began. In 1973, birth rates plummeted. And there's a real good reason for that. And that's because in January of 1973, abortion became legal. So birth rates plummeted, and then 33 years later, the demand dried up dramatically, and you had builders building homes like crazy, and there you had a housing bubble. You know, something as simple as looking at demographics helped us to identify that. Now, there are other factors in the current marketplace that you should also consider. One is not only the lack of inventory, which is, well, let me, let me give you just some, some numbers for, 
In 2007, there were 3.4 million homes for sale, 3.4 million. Today, there's 1.4 million homes for sale. There's 2 million homes taken off the market, and our population has grown rather significantly from 2007. So you have a dramatic shortage of supply and an extremely impressive level of growth on the demand scale with it increasing into the future. So you put all those together, and you have a situation for home prices to increase quite a bit. There's another factor that we should talk about, too, is there's a lack of vacancies. Yes. And vacancies, when you have homes, when, when you have vacant homes, you know, if, if I'm carrying a home, and Jordan, let's just say if it's, you know, cost me three or 4000 bucks a month, and it's sitting there, I might be more inclined to say, listen, let's just dump this damn thing, because, you know, it's I could justify in the back of my mind and say, you know, I'll drop the price ten or fifteen thousand dollars because if I hold this thing three or four more months, I'm going to spend that anyway. So I might as well just dump it. You don't yeah. have the vacancies there; they're at record lows, so there's not that inclination to dump them. And you know, the media gets this so incorrectly because what the yep. media says is the media says that homes are not affordable. Well, they tend to look at the wrong metrics. The first metric they look at incorrectly is the median home price. Now we're going to get data on that this week on the, on the most recent one. But as of last month, existing homes, the median home price is $313,000, which is up 15.5% from a year ago. So people say, well, real estate's going up 15.5%. It's unsustainable. Well, while 15.5% is a very large number, it's not appreciation. That is simply the median home price, which means half the homes purchased above 313000 half below. Why is that? Well, there's a lack of inventory below that level, so it's skewing this higher, but it doesn't mean that this is appreciation. When we look at actual appreciation, it's at 7%. That's still pretty big. And people will say, well, incomes aren't keeping up with that. And they, again, look at the wrong metric. They look at hourly earnings. And they see hourly earnings are about 4%, and they say, ah, it's not really matching. Well, the thing of it is with hourly earnings is you can work more hours or less hours. Don't look at hourly earnings. Everybody else does, but Let's be smarter. Let's look at weekly earnings because that's more representative of what you take home. Weekly earnings on an annualized basis, they're up 5.9%. So that's pretty darn close to the level of appreciation. But there is another important step that you have to take in that understanding that you don't use all of your money that you earn to make your mortgage payment. You You use a fraction of that money. So because you use a fraction of your monthly earnings, if your monthly earnings were to go up, let's just say 5%, that could actually handle, believe it or not, if interest rates stayed the same, 15, 20% appreciation, and you would actually be more affordable that than makes less sense. affordable. I know it's, yeah, okay. it's hard for most people to, to get that. We do have to take a break, Barry. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting stuff. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Barry Habib. His latest book is called Money in the Streets a playbook for finding and seizing the opportunity all around you. You can find out more about Barry at his website, mbshighway.com. We'll be back after this. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner. 
earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Barry Habib. He is the CEO of MBS Highway. Uh, You can see his website, mbshighway.com. His latest book is called Money in the Streets, a playbook for finding and seizing the opportunity all around you. Welcome back to the show, Barry. Thank you so much. So since you're famous for forecasting interest rates and mortgage rates particularly, We've had incredibly low mortgage rates, below 3% on the 30-year fix for quite a while here. What, what is your prediction over the next year or so as to what's going to happen to mortgage rates, and why are they going to do what you're expecting? So there's a few things that we have to just understand first. One is that the Fed funds rate, which the Fed controls, that's an overnight lending rate. The Fed can change that day to day. And while the Fed said that they, can, they will intend to keep rates at zero, about 2023, I think it'll be beyond that. The last time that they were zero was for seven years between 2009 and 2016. That does not necessarily mean mortgage rates will follow suit because mortgage rates are are totally different. Mortgage rates are much more dependent on inflation and they can be much more jittery because that rate's going to be in place for 30 years potentially. Now in 2009 to 2016, there were several periods of time where mortgage rates went up. Twice they went up by more than 1% during a three- or four-month period. Once they went up from uh, 4% to 5 and an eighth, another time they went up from 35 to 4 and 3 quarters, all while the Fed was at zero. So first thing we have to understand is that just because the Fed says rates are going to be lower at zero does not mean mortgage rates stay the same. Now, everybody is forecasting mortgage rates to rise quite a bit. I... I will tell you that I believe that mortgage rates will have periods of time where they will move up. They're never going to just stay in one position. So there could be blips higher. I think those blips will be somewhat subdued. And I think the pressure is for interest rates to believe it or not, to move lower. And here's why. One of the things that people don't understand is, is how debt impacts mortgage rates. Now, fortunately we are not printing money. We are borrowing money. Yes, to some degree we're monetizing it, but that debt that we are taking on in order to finance this 
$29 trillion debt or $28 trillion debt right now is, is done through selling treasuries. Now, fortunately, for interest rate-wise, the Fed is creating digital currency by monetizing this and adding it to their balance sheet. When, when we do that, it really does help to keep interest rates low, and I expect the Fed to be active by monetizing the debt and by purchasing treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. They're buying about $100 billion a month of mortgage-backed securities right now. I do not think the Fed's going to turn that off at any time soon. The other thing is debt, because we're financing so much, causes us to be in a position where that weight of servicing the debt slows down economic activity. And we know this any place in history, any place in the world, any time in history, I should say, any place in the world, the higher the level of debt, the lower the interest rates go because economic activity slows. And when economic activity slows, it slows inflation, and inflation is the main driver of interest rates. So we're in a, we're in a position where we're seeing pressure from technology to keep inflation low, pressure from debt and slow economic activity to keep inflation low, and a very active Fed in purchasing mortgage bonds and treasuries which should keep interest rates low as well. So a lot of pressure to the downside. Now we are going to have periods of time where we might see interest rates rise a little bit, but that should be something that kind of works itself and becomes transitional to a, a level that you probably see mortgage rates hover around this 3% range that they've been in, um, maybe take another run lower, even potentially sometime in 2021, reaching a level below where we are today. Yeah. What, what role has the COVID uh, pandemic played in all that? Because that certainly slowed the economy and slowed demand and created a lot of unemployment. Is that also pushing interest rates down? Because right now there's a reflation trade. Even though things are depressed right now, the feeling is once the vaccine gets out there, that we'll go back to somewhat normal activity and there'll be a lot more demand. So people are thinking, that, I mean, interest rates have gone up. The, the long treasuries went from half a percent to 0.9%. Um, on the reflation trade. So how does that play into your, your forecast? Well, you know, you're, you're 100% right. This is, um, this is also, we've seen a move higher since Janet Yellen was named Treasury Secretary. And, and we've also seen the dollar really take a hit. So when the dollar takes the hit to the level it has, the fear is two things. One is, that are we going to import inflation because it now costs us more? And secondarily, there's also fear that foreign investors who have been active in purchasing our bonds will be more hesitant to do so because think about it, if you're a foreigner, even if you made a higher yield in U.S. securities, when you repatriate that, when you go and take that money back home, if the dollar continues to fall faster than your currency is, then you'd lose not only all the money that you made in, in the difference in yield, but you'd lose some capital as well because now to repatriate it back, you're getting cheaper dollars versus a more expensive currency that you have, so you lose money on that currency trade. So this is the fear, and this is why when Janet Yellen became Treasury Secretary, they knew that she was going to try and just debase our currency. And when we, when we, because you've got Jerome Powell already doing this, and at least Stephen Mnuchin was a good counterbalance, Janet Yellen is like, well, go ahead, you're not buying enough. You know, if you think about the Fed's buying, they're buying even bonds of Apple and McDonald's. I mean, I don't know why they're doing this, but the Fed is... Hey. In a position of doing something that is very unconventional. Yeah, I, mean, she, I guess yeah. she's called the queen of the yeah. doves, right? So she'll be for even oh easier. Oh my gosh, yes. 
Yes. Yes. So, so, so we're, in a, we're in a situation that's a where there's why interest rates would be falling. You're saying when the dollar falls. Yes. That that makes interest rates fall even further. Then. Well, when the dollar falls, it could actually cause interest rates to rise for a period of time, like we have now. Now, every country around the world is also trying to debase their currency in sort of a race to the bottom here. Uh, so. I think while we have seen interest rates, to answer your question, yes, we've seen interest rates move up a little bit. Here's the real key. There are about 10 million people out of the labor force that would normally be in the labor force, and that is causing some supply chain disruption. So COVID's played a major role in keeping interest rates down, but to a certain extent, it's created a little bit of inflation because people still need things, so there still is demand, but the supply chain has been hindered. And we've noticed this a lot of times people order stuff, it's taking longer and everybody say, oh, because of COVID, it's taking longer. And that shortage of supply, that breaking of the, the, the supply chain is causing prices to increase a little bit. And it does take additional measures to get stuff done now in more sanitary conditions. Because of this, we've seen a little bit of a move up in inflation, causing interest rates to rise. It's my belief that once vaccines get out there, once we God willing take the masks off, that the supply chain starts to come back to meet the demand and you will actually see inflation take a step back and interest rates will actually go down. I know it's unconventional, but this is the way we're seeing it play out. So for somebody who's buying a home today, would you suggest they do a fixed rate mortgage or variable rate? If you think rates are going to fall, maybe you think a variable or adjustable rate mortgage would be a better move. It could be, and, and you bring up a very good point. The thing of it is, is that there are sometimes costs involved that can outweigh a small interest rate benefit that you get from an adjustable. Since the yield curve is still relatively flat, there isn't going to be as much of a benefit. It's typically pretty slight to take an adjustable rate mortgage, especially if you want one that's not as volatile. So you might get a benefit of an eighth or quarter percent. I would still suggest take a fixed rate, which is representative of about 96% of all transactions today, because the incentive to take that arm, that adjustable rate mortgage, just isn't as, as, as enticing as it would be under normal circumstances with a yield curve that is not as flat as it is today. Because of that, I'd still say take a fixed rate mortgage. Uh, and if rates do fall, you can then refinance and take another fixed rate at a lower rate. What I'd really be more focused on is take this gift that we have of lower rates and do two things. One, borrow more money and pay off your debts that you have because you'd get so much better cash flow. And then instead of pocketing that increase in cash flow, take a shorter term. Take a 20-year, take a 25-year, take a 15-year if you can afford to do so. You know, these are things that can really change your life for the better down the road. I must so. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Barry Habib. His latest book is called Money in the Streets, a playbook for finding and seizing opportunity all around you. You can find out more about his book and all of his uh, forecasts in the real estate area at his website, mbshighway.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. 
Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Barry Habib. Uh, He is the author of a new book called Money in the Streets, a playbook for finding and seizing opportunity all around you. Uh, He also is an expert in real estate, and interest rates, his website is mbshighway.com. Welcome back to the show, Barry. Thank you. So there's been a big move from central cities to the suburbs and the exurban areas. What is your outlook for central city real estate? In Manhattan and Boston and San Francisco were all the hottest places, huge amount of building going on, and now everybody's moving out of the cities. What is your outlook for central city real estate? So there's a couple of factors that are concerning. You've got rents are dropping, so that makes it a little bit scarier to be a landlord. You also have migration due to the fact that people are desirous of more space and more distance because of things like COVID and potential future issues. So in space and distance is two separate items, right? Distance is distance apart from other people, like you have, you know, if you're in an apartment building. And then space is just more interior space as people now are just are, are seeing, hey, wow, you know, I, I don't just sleep in this place. I'm actually living in this place. And then, of course, all the ability that people are realizing that they can do for many positions where they can work anywhere remotely is saying, hey, I could get a nicer home. I could have some of the features I've always wanted, um, but I had to sacrifice because I wanted close proximity to the place I work. Now I have the ability to work at home either all the time or a majority of the time, which makes that transition a lot simpler. So all these are working against inner city real estate, but then there's one more. And this is potentially a big one. If you're earning reasonably uh, higher levels of income, you have a high incentive for state tax, um, for state income tax that you might want to now have the opportunity to relocate. We've seen so much of this in, California, where people are moving out of California into places like Nevada. People in the Northeast are moving to Florida. Um, and there's quite the incentive because, you know, when you think about 13 or 14 percent or 11 percent, depending on what, what state you're in, um, and you could save that amount of money simply by relocating 
to a place that gives you a lot of nicer climate and you can work from home anyway, uh, all those are going to be weighing against those inner city pieces of real estate or properties that you might have. Um, but still, with that, you have the benefit of demographics working to your favor and that there will simply be more than likely more demand than what you're losing. So my thought process is that you'd still have appreciation in the inner cities, but that appreciation will be a slower level than some of the more desirous areas out there that you can move to. Are there bargains to be had then in central city uh, apartment buildings and a lot of these things are now empty or emptying out? Yeah, they are, but we'll just be careful with those because there's probably a reason that there's some bargains there. There is going to be potentially some risk. So, you know, each individual situation needs to be evaluated. Just proceed with a little bit of caution. And, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, people are looking at properties and inventory so scarce that sometimes you have to come in at asking price or even over asking price. That's a tough pill to swallow. But in many cases, it has been beneficial and I believe it will be beneficial to, of course, try to get the best deal you can. But in cases where you have to pay full asking price or even a little bit over asking price, more often than not, those will tend to be favorable for you uh, within the next six to 12 months based upon the strong levels of appreciation we're forecasting in, in, in much of the country. We'll probably see about 6% in 2021 appreciation. Yeah. And how about in commercial real estate for investors who are in real estate investment trusts who might be in office buildings or shopping malls or uh, a lot of commercial real estate? What, what is your outlook there? Because it seems like that's under a lot of stress as well. It is under a lot of stress, especially on the multifamily area, because rents are decreasing. You know, we just did get the stimulus bill where you know, there is some additional rental protection going forward. So on the multifamily residential side, those commercial properties, you know, they, they are certainly more at risk. Uh, however, real estate for shopping centers where you have you know, supermarkets or things of that nature you're probably going to be doing very well on those. You get the benefit of the depreciation. You, there's, there's a lot of good things that will come. The returns will likely be much more modest. But in those areas where you have a real good anchor tenant of staple items that aren't going anywhere, whether or not we have a pandemic, great. Offices, those, you just have to be very careful. You have to do evaluations because let's remember all the things we're talking about. People do have the ability to work from home. So, People who now own those companies and those businesses, rather than saying, hey, I got to expand to get more office space as we grow, they could grow and take less office space. So it's just something that you just need to be careful of and, and make a wise decision and proceed cautiously. It's difficult to give a blanket answer because, as you know, Jordan, every situation needs to be evaluated on its own. But those are just some things you should have your intent out for. And how about construction? Uh, there seems to be, as you say, a shortage of residential property, but a surplus of commercial property. Is there going to be a lot less building of commercial property, a lot more building of residential property? I believe that those, that's, that's, you hit the nail on the head. Um, commercial office space will probably see uh, slower growth. However, you probably will see some creativity where you can turn you know, office space where it's um, – you know, just single office units where people say, well, you know what, I, I have the ability to work more locally, but do I really want to work in the den 
where my kids are screaming at me and I have distractions. It kind of feels good to walk out of the house and maybe go a mile down the road instead of an hour and 10 minute commute with traffic, but I have a little office space that I can rent. So I'm seeing those as a creative solution that are going to pop up more. And construction on residential is really where we need it. The problem is, as you know, is that lumber costs have more than doubled. It is difficult to get land. Regulation is, 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 is certainly something that is an additional cost. So to come up with construction values that, you know, the median new construction price today is $375,000. That's reasonable when you look at a lot of other property values out there, but for a first-time home buyer, it's, it's a little bit difficult for them to reach that high, which is why they're buying existing homes and why there's very little, very little inventory at the existing home level. Uh, but new construction, if we could, you know, one great thing that would happen is if there was a way to figure out how to get those construction costs or lumber costs subsidized and really meet the demand of that entry-level buyer and still make it profitable for the builder, well, that would be a good thing. Hard to do. What uh, changes do you see coming with the Biden administration that would affect the real estate market positively or negatively? Well, I, I think that there is... Uh, you know, the, the fact that we know that there's going to be more regulation, it's going to look like Obama with the CFPB, with Richard Cordero. We know that some of those changes are coming. That's going to create slowdowns in time. It's going to create increased costs, just like it did. Um, so we know that's coming. That's not going to be a positive for the marketplace. We also know that the Biden administration will likely get their way with some tax increases on the income tax front, maybe going from 37 to 39.6. So that appears to be something that's that's in the works. Um, with the Republicans maintaining control, as it appears they will, of the Senate, we probably will not see the estate tax move up. So you know, that that's an important one. And then the capital gains tax was the real big one, because that capital gains tax, which over 400,000 would have gone from its current level of I know people think it's 20%, but you have that Obama tax, so it's really 23.8% on capital gains. That would have gone to 44.8%. So a 21% tax on capital gains would have dried up the real estate market. Because if you think about it, if I've got capital gains on real estate, I'm going to lose 21% more. Maybe I'm not going to let go of that home. Maybe I'm going to just, just hold on to it. It would really have been a tough thing. I don't think that that whole thought process was very well thought out. And the other one that, that we're talking about that I don't think we'll go through was taxes on unrealized capital gains, which would be crazy. But, you know, this is, uh, this is things that they talked about. These are really, really scary stuff that would have a very adverse effect on the marketplace, um, both real estate and securities. And they're linked together because, you know, people buy homes based upon how wealthy they feel. You know, if you yeah. see your accounts dwindling or, you know, people are hesitant to buy. But if you see your accounts growing and you feel better about it, you buy homes, you buy real estate. That's what you're seeing today. So for, for a young couple who's in their early 30s, kind of the classic uh, first-time home buyer now, who sees these huge uh, demand for homes in the suburbs, uh, what should they do? I mean, should they just bid up? And, and get into a bidding war, or they should, should they wait? I mean, a lot of people are going to be frustrated because they can't afford these homes rising, and there's just not enough for them to do. What, what should people in that first-time home buying category do in this current situation if they want a suburban or exurban home? Well, fortunately, 
because interest rates are so low and because you can purchase a home with a low down payment. In many cases, 3%, 3.5%, 5%. Those are opportunities that, you know, that young couple, as challenging as it might be to be in situations where there's a lack of inventory, to really work hard to find something. If you find something you like, go ahead and bid up a little bit more. Get in the game because you have to get in the game. Otherwise, you're just going to continue to fall behind because values are going to continue to go up. And you have the opportunity now with low interest rates to make those payments affordable. I would suggest for them to be reasonably aggressive. Don't be crazy and throw caution to the wind. But if you've got to come in at full asking price or a little over asking price, I would think that they should be able, they should proceed under those terms. Could we go into a situation similar to 2006 and 2007 where the market gets overheated and you've got everybody flipping and speculators coming in, uh, kind of creating a real estate bubble that would then explode? Well, you never want to say never, but certainly the circumstances are extremely different right now. Uh, again, population is greater, demand is greater, and supply is less than half of what it was. So the two bubbles that you know we can look back to for historical purposes were in the mid to late 80s and also in the mid to late 2000s. And when we take a look at both of those circumstances, inventory was much, much, much higher. Demand was much lower. We are really at the opposite end of the spectrum. So in order for things to change, this is, you know, it's like imagine a cruise ship. It's not going to be able to make a U-turn that quickly. You know, for the real estate market to slow down and go the other direction, it's going to go up a lot more before it starts to make that turn. So I don't see that in the cards at all in the next two to three years. Now, if things continue very high, economic conditions change dramatically, tax laws change dramatically, regulation changes dramatically, we could start to see a, a, a move in the opposite direction. Um, but we have to have a lot more inventory and a lot less demand. And boy, again, I look at those demographics and the birth rates from 30 years ago or so, and they're just going up, not down. So demand will continue to, to, to be supportive of prices. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Barry Habib. He is the CEO of MBS Highway. His website is mbshighway.com, a real expert on real estate and interest rate trends. Uh, he also has a book out called Money in the Streets, a playbook for finding and seizing opportunity all around you. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. 
There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Barry Habib. Uh, He is the CEO of MBSHighway.com, an expert on real estate and interest rate trends. He also has a book out called Money in the Streets a playbook for finding and seizing the opportunity all around you. Welcome back to the show, Barry. Thanks so much. You talked about uh, 2 million uh, less uh, homes available in inventory than there were when the last peak happened in 2006. Why is so much less inventory available uh, than uh, there was at that time? Because demand has increased dramatically. Again, you know, we keep coming back to the demographics, but they're, it's so important to watch those because as the amount of households have been formed, that increase in households, which is in direct correlation to the birth rates increasing from 33 years ago, when you see those households increase, they need a place to live. You know, they're leaving mom and dad and they're either going to rent or buy. And approximately two thirds of those individuals are purchasing homes. They're just sopping up all the inventory that's out there. And the other thing that we're seeing on, on inventory drying up is because of COVID, people that were a bit older would oftentimes sell their home and move into a longer-term care facility. We're seeing, and understandably so, individuals and their families being much more hesitant to do so because we have seen a lot of unfortunate circumstances occur in those longer-term facilities because of things like COVID spreading there to those vulnerable. So people are saying, hey, look, you know, I'd rather stay home. I'd rather figure it out at home, and their families are figuring it out so that they could stay at home. That means less inventory on the marketplace as well. So a lot of factors contributing to less inventory. And let's, let's not forget, when COVID hit, construction stopped. So construction yep. was already not keeping pace with demand. And then you have a five-month hole of lack of construction. Now, that's got to be made up somewhere. So there is no surprise why you see real estate values going up. It's just simply the demand levels have picked up a little bit. But the supply has really dried up because, as I said, elderly not leaving to go to long-term care and the amount of construction completely halted during that COVID period and then had to get ramped up. They're not going to make up for that time. That's not going to be made up. That's just a hole that's going to stay there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, assuming a a good, uh, positive scenario is that we get the vaccine out, it works, the economy recovers. A lot of people who are living at home because they couldn't afford their apartments or they were in college, they were living at home get out into the world again, would that increase demand even more and kind of spike the real estate market even more uh, kind of on the reflation trade? I completely agree with you there. I think that you will likely see um, as, as the economy starts to get back to a more robust state, people will feel more confident about purchasing. And, you know, we know the demand is going to be there. And as people, you know, those 10 million people right now that were working that are now not working, a portion of them 
will certainly want to get into the home ownership game, especially with interest rates as low and the down payment requirements being as low. You know, most people try to think they need 20% down, as we discussed earlier. That's just not the case. You don't need 20% down. And here's the thing, too, is that those individuals that are have been affected by COVID and lost their job, unfortunately, those folks, it's greatly been disproportionate amongst renters. So the housing market has stayed pretty strong because people have been able to adapt. Those that are in the home purchase category have been less impacted in an adverse way by COVID as opposed to those who are renting who have been much more severely and adversely impacted due to the effects of COVID. So um, when we see that come back, a lot of people who are renters are now going to be in the game and able to purchase a home. Yeah. Now let's talk about rental real estate again. A lot of landlords have been under tremendous pressure here uh, because of the moratorium on evictions. I think that's going to be extended a bit now. So what do you expect for landlords who continue to have to make their mortgage payments if they're not getting rent from all or some of their, their tenants? So obviously that's an individual circumstance and it's an extremely unfortunate one. Uh, it appears to me that that will have some sort of a bit of a negative impact on real estate, but not dramatically because there's such a lack of inventory. If a landlord is renting out a single-family residence, let's just say, or even if it's a duplex and you've got a couple of families in there and you're suffering because of the rents, the benefit that you have is you have had the benefit of massive appreciation as well as amortization. On average, in just the last 12 months, people who own a home with a mortgage have seen 11% increase or improvement in their equity position. This tells us that if those individuals were to put themselves in a position of having to come under hardship because they're not receiving rents, they have to make the mortgage payments, and now they just can't make ends meet, they can put their home on the market, quickly sell it, and protect and preserve their equity, which is why a lot of people, it's that same logic, if you think about it, why it really debunks the case where people are saying, oh, well, forbearance and foreclosures, and that's going to cause real estate values to drop. Let's address those if we can very quickly. Sure. Forbearance while it represents a very small percentage, there's a lot of people in forbearance who could have actually afforded to make their payment that just shows forbearance so they don't have to make payments for 12 months even though they have the money. So we can mitigate that portion. Then there's another portion of people that will have been coming back to work or shortly after the vaccine can come back to work and get their jobs. So they'll be able to make their payments. Because remember, when you come out of forbearance for the 12 months, it isn't as if you're in a position where you have to now pay a bill that amount that's in forbearance rides along your mortgage like a second mortgage or an equity line without any payments. It just has to be paid when you sell your home, which is easy, or when you refinance your home, which is easy, or at some point in the future when it matures. And then if you are in the category where you come out of forbearance, you still have not gotten back to work and you really can't afford it, then you come back to the position where, first of all, they'll be staggered. It's a very small percentage you'll be able to sell that home. It'll sell quickly. You'll preserve your equity. So we don't see foreclosures as a problem. Because remember, foreclosures represent three-tenths of 1% of people with a mortgage. Just three-tenths of 1%. Yeah. But we also need to remember that 34% of homes, there's 127 million households in the United States. Of that, we've got approximately 86 million that are owned. But 34% of those have no mortgage whatsoever. So there's no risk there. 
So when you talk about three-tenths of 1% of homes with a mortgage, if you look at it differently, imagine you were in a helicopter and you looked out over 500 homes and you could see a development 500 homes. Today, only one of them is in foreclosure. And while we all agree one is too many, this is a far cry from 2009 when 26% of homes the value of them was less than the amount that was owed on them. They were upside down. We are in a totally different position right now. Do you think it was the right policy to have a foreclosure and eviction forbearance um, and moratoriums and now being extended, or or does that distort the real estate market? Well, you know, it sure does distort it to some extent, but but you have to be humanitarian. This is is an exceptional set of circumstances. And, And, you know... A roof over your head is, is, is so critical that um, I'm, I'm glad that something like this was done. We do, we do need some humanitarian uh, aid for, for individuals that, uh, that are under these stressful situations. So it's my opinion that it was the right thing. Yeah. Uh, so, again, if you were in a landlord position and some or all of your tenants are not paying their rent, uh, you would uh, hang in there or you would sell the sell the property. Uh, what do you recommend for landlords in that position? If you can hang in there, hang in there because the value of the property will still be there. Now on a commercial basis, you know, you have to, first of all, with everything, please understand that there's no blanket answers. That's correct. I don't know what each individual's circumstances are. If you can hang in there and if it is less than four, four families or less, which is a residential, that's the distinction, greater than four families is considered commercial, then I would say that you should hang in there and you will probably see appreciation uh, assist you and make up for this period of time that you're going through if you could get through it. Uh, yeah. Clearly, if you can't get through it, preserve the equity you have, put the house on the market and sell it and you'll probably sell it quickly, preserve the equity you have and put yourself in a good position. In about two minutes we have left, why don't you kind of sum up your view of the real estate market going forward based on what we've talked about the last hour or so? So I do think, think that across the United States, my forecast is for real estate values to be up about 6% in 2021. Now let's think about that because 6% sure sounds good, but it even gets better when you apply the miracle of leverage. Because if you purchase a home with 10% down, let's take a really simple example. I know it's difficult to find, but it's just for conceptual purposes. If there were a home for $100,000, you put 10% down, that means your investment is $10,000. If that home went up 6%, that means that home would go up from 100000 to 106000 or a gain of $6,000. That $6,000 gain on your $10,000 investment is a 60% rate of return. That's a pretty good deal. And uh, let's say if we're wrong and it comes in half that amount, I believe that that would we we're, we're not going to see three. We'll be much stronger than three percent. You still have thirty percent return, and you look around yeah. at the options that are out there. Um, this is, this is pretty good. You know, you take a look at the stock market, and it's always a difficult one to predict. But let's just remember that you know Citigroup puts out their panic euphoria index, and it's a good contrarian indicator. By all circumstances. The stock market is a bit effervescent and ubuent right now. I think that, you know, I think that it's it's probably a wise idea to 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 analyze it carefully when it comes to stocks. I feel a lot better as far as an investment goes with real estate that you get better value than you would at the stock market today. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Barry Habib. 
Uh, he is the CEO of MBS Highway. Uh, his website is mbshighway.com. We're going to continue this conversation next week and talk more about his book, Money in the Streets, a playbook for finding and seizing the opportunity all around you. Thanks so much for being a great guest on the Money Answer Show, Barry. My pleasure, friend. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.